I'm Googling millennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gen Y, or millennials, were born between 1981 and 1994 or 6. They're debating on when it ends, 94 and 96. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, a right. website called Kasasa. Uh, very <laughs> reputable. You know? I, I hear okay. you, man. Okay. Find me a different one. Find me. Come on. No, that's your fucking job. You're, that's your claim. Okay. You have to have the evidence. All right. The great website known as Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> Wikipedia says the same thing. Tom. I'm a big fan of Wikipedia myself. Yeah. I'm a good their source. I reference it often. They use The Economist, okay? Generation Next, Millennials. Slash Kassassa. Baby Boomers in 2019. <laughs> Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> Elder Millennial. Thank you. Yeah. Back. My back yeah, hurts just, just from it. looking at that. <laughs> Can you believe you're like almost 10 years older than me and still in the same uh, <laughs> <a> millennial? <laughs> just, you know, we're, we're the same, Tom, you and me. We're the same. We could be brothers. We could be <laughs> Are you Estevez? <laughs> yes. Why, thank you for noticing. Nothing. I'm going to look at you like, oh my God, Bruce Lee. I'm so sorry what they did to you in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that foot movie. <laughs> the foot movie? Ninety-eight <laughs> percent uh, good movie, 2% fucking bullshit. And we all know what that is. Greetings and salutations. And welcome once again to the Capeless Crusaders live at the time from the digital safe house. I... I'm the man sitting here in the main throne. I'm the Azorian one, Anthony Steves, and I'm joined by two other compadres in tonight's show. And they are first, after his month-long break, sabbatical so, from the Cable Crusaders. Longer. Something it's like that. Been a while. Yeah. Who are you? I am Manderson, also known as the son of Mander or Super Manderson. Take your pick. I have so many monikers, but no social media, so it doesn't matter. Does anyway, it doesn't, doesn't matter. That's right. Manderson is back, back in the digital safe house. Welcome back, Manderson, son of Mander. I Mander, don't know what I'm doing. Manderama, the, the little bit of Mander on your shoulder, whatever it is. Uh, welcome back to the show. And we're also oh, joined, we're also joined once again by the Redwood Original. Now, big time player in Nerd On, the podcast. He is the film genius film aficionado more like just corporate oversight and to my brother from a whatever who are you <laughs> i'm emilio estevez <laughs> uh no uh, no relation to simulu my name is tom uh aka at tall dark net ugly at nerd on tv for everything else uh yeah, uh here. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be around uh beautiful uh oh. screens uh filled with uh beautiful faces with glasses and beards. Oh, look, look at you. Thank you. Because I don't Tom. have glasses. Tom does not have glasses. Oh. He doesn't need glasses nope. like me and Manderson. He has great vision. Right. It's just like that old wooden ship diversity right there. <laughs> <laughs> I really I'm the hope. one. I really hope Cena hears this episode. <laughs> um, oh, I, the, the the one person listening, they love this. 
They do. They do. They do. And of course, as always, with every episode, this episode is brought to you in part by the Nerd On Nation, powered by Patreon. Where is it? Oh, we don't do that anymore. Dang it. No, that's you guys. That's it. Thomas Thomas and join in on that. The Nerd On Nation allows us to keep the lights on and up our quality. That's right. There are now 20 hamsters in the wheels, keeping everything moving. It's amazing. And as a member of the Nerd On Nation, for as little as $1 to $5 a month, you get early access to episodes, a Discord community at nerdon.io slash Discord, where Tom is usually in there just chatting excuse me nerdon.tv slash discord i'm gonna fire the scriptwriter for this one wait that's me um nerdon.tv slash discord where tom is in there just you know saying things chatting up a storm welcoming the nerdon nation fans put my whole butt in there put his whole butt in there his whole butt slides into your discord it's amazing also just there for you to scream at just there for you to scream at. Also, bonus episodes and so much more. Check it out. What kind of Nerd- bonus episodes do you do you guys do? Oh, I mean, we all the bonus episodes. There's I've talked about uh, you know, wrestling. I've talked about uh wrestling. wrestling. I've <laughs> talked about uh the Euro Cup. Uh, and more wrestling on those bonus episodes. <laughs> there was that one time we talked about working out. We did, the three of us. That's what nerds do. We talked about working that was, out. That was the last time I recorded something. So. Yes, we had the cool uh, graphic of Mr. Johnson, Mr. Dwayne Johnson working out. That was the three of us chatting. Yeah, None of our arms match up to his, but whatever. No. Um, no, maybe so, maybe our, our like quads our, might match up to his biceps. Collective. Our quads yeah. all together yes. would, would match to his yeah. biceps. So you'd be getting those bonus episodes and so much more. You can check it all out at nerdon.tv slash Patreon. <laughs> like what's shot nerdon. Make sure he corrected. That? Oh. that TV sounds cooler. Oh, I.O. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who knows what I.O. is. <laughs> and of course, for anything related to the Capeless Crusaders and Nerdon, you can head on over to thecapelesscrusaders.com or nerdon.tv slash the capeless crusaders your hub for all things crusader from there you can find all our content as well as the rest of the nerdon podcast family Ooh, that intro how I'm, about that right i'm quiet for the next five minutes it's because i'm at the capelesscrusaders.com hold on <laughs> this is me now going to my notes and deleting io and putting tv how about that tv baby right? There you go. It just sounds nicer. Just sounds nicer. Uh, We welcome all of you to episode 171, where we will be chatting about the film adaptation of the comic we read last time, V for Vendetta. But before we get there, we're going to do what we usually enjoy doing, and that is called Round the Horn. You know, given the conversation we had earlier, maybe we should change the whole, you know, Dukes of Hazard uh, theme we put there for Round the Horn. Because uh, we, we used it because it was a horn, but now it's like, okay, we get it. Maybe we should what, what's like the What's like the horn that like, you know, like grandma's in town, like she wants to take the kids out to the zoo. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, like we That was like that. a sitcom trope, you know? Yeah, we should do like, that. Would, we should find that. To Josh? Yeah, wherever that is. Josh, can you find Don't, that? Oh, he's in response. It's more like you do the job, Steve's, and then he makes sure it happens. (laughs) Oh, that's how this nerd on thing works. Let me. He, I find. I'm corporate oversight now. I find he doesn't. I find he doesn't. There it is. I'm brother I now. (laughs) 
So you use uh, this, make sure it's cleared and licensed. <laughs> when we go around the horn, we do so in a circular fashion, although neither one of us are sitting at a circular table, although I do see a circular table behind Manderson. Is that a circular table I'm seeing? It is. Look at that. So yes. if you could go sit at that table, Manderson, that'd be great. Are you excusing him from the episode? <laughs> I just want to... Well, He's now got his back turned to us as he looks at a circular table. We actually now have a circular table. It's great. Outstanding. Uh, what we do during that circular table, now being the digital table, is we talk about what we've been reading in the comic book world or literary world. Um, if you guys don't mind, I can go first. Yeah, go ahead. So, being that a certain uh, film in the MCU is on its way out in the next few weeks... Of course, maybe by the time you hear this episode, less than a week, uh, I thought I would educate myself on the character, being that all I know that I like is the stars that are in it. So I went over and started reading the Shang-Chi issue one from 2020, uh, written, bring it up real quick here, written by Jean Moon-Yang, artist by Dyke Rong, flashback artist Philip Tan, and colorist Sebastian Cheng with... Jim Chung and Laura Martin on the cover, which none of you can see, but I'm showing my two compadres here. I thought that was pretty sick. Both of us who are looking at our phones. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd do the research and start with that one from 2020. I did see that there was the Jim Starlin one back in 75, but I thought, let's ease into it, Steve. It's like he did with Black Panther. Let's go with the, the more recent works and then we'll go back in time. And so in this story, uh, Shang-Chi faces off against the new head of the five. Uh, oh, damn. I forgot the name. Oh, my God. The five rings of the ten rings. No. So are they called the half boys? The five. <laughs> They're a new hip hop group. Um, the five weapon society, oh. which is led by a new supreme commander of the hammer and the members of the hand are looking for Shang-Chi so that he can take the mantle of their crew to fight the Hammer's crew. So that's where I've uh, read. I didn't want to spoil it too much, but again, it came out in 2020, so I guess I could say more about it. What we find out at the end is that it's Shang-Chi's half-sister who's leading <gasps> the Hammer crew, and he's going to face off against her. <gasps> Still didn't see Aquafina anywhere in here, but that's fine. A little upset by that. Well, I'm assuming her name is not going to be called Aquafina. Really? It might be called Raya the Last Dragon. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> good movie, by the way. Really good movie. Still haven't watched it. I, Dude, I need, it, to, I need to get in on it. It's good. Like, the boys request it, like, once or twice a week. Oh. Yeah, it was Madison, really good. you and me. I'll go last. All right. Tom. Uh, well, at the time of this recording... Um, FCBD happened recently, Free Comic Book mm -hmm. Day, for those who don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously, given certain circumstances, it didn't happen on the first Saturday of May, of the May, whatever the month of May. Of it happened May. on the first Saturday of August. And, uh, you know, you go to your local <coughs> comic book store, you get the little freebies, and you, you make sure you buy some because you want to support the store if you can. Absolutely. Um, you know, the smallest yep. thing. Um, and I recently have been quite, like, indoctrinated by a bunch of different, like, uh, Asian creators online um, through my uh, tireless, tireless social networking 
um, on, on the Twitters. I've seen it. Um, You've been amazing. And uh, a, a one Mr. Uh, Z Chun uh, yeah. is actually uh, the owner, crea- co-founder, creator of TKO Studios. Yes, and I got uh, a book, uh, The Fearsome Dr. Fang, yeah. uh, at my local store, which is uh, House of Secrets in Burbank. Um, the book is also written by Mike Weiss, uh, Dan McDade, and Daniela Miwa. And uh, I have not started this book, but if I can promo that book a little bit, just so you know, do it. One appease the uh, All Father David Barry for indie comics, uh, and then uh, also you know shout out uh, Sigma Boost some Asian Asian homies because you know Marvel's already going to make their millions of dollars. So how about how about how about give some money to to other Asian creators? Absolutely. Uh, nothing to fear. Yeah, nothing. So this is the back of the book, um, and I, this is going to be my first time reading it. Uh, nothing nice. to fear, but Fang himself. When an mm. occult artifact is stolen by dashing criminal mastermind, the fearsome Dr. Fang, Ooh. San Francisco cop Nayland Kenny, Kelly, and treasure hunter Alice LaCroix uh, travel to China to recover the item and bring Fang to justice. Oh, but when our heroes discover Fang is not a criminal at all, but an undercover agent working to keep the artifact safe, the trio must join forces to stop a true evil from awakening an evil ancient power. That's goosebumps dun, right dun, there. Dun, dun, that is goosebumps on my arm right there. I like that. I like that. If you if you don't know uh, Z Chun, um, he was the showrunner and writer for Gotham mm-hmm. and Once Upon a Time, and Mike Weiss, who uh, wrote on The Mentalist and the uh, oh, it was drawn by artists. Uh, Dan McDade did Judge Dredd, and the color was Daniela Miwa, who done work on Shaft. Z so, Chun, one of the friendliest people you're gonna find on Twitter, yeah. bar none. Guys, outstanding. Yeah, so that that that's what I'm going to start reading, and I encourage everyone listening to also pick it up. Nice pick, Tom. Well done. Yeah, son of Mander would bring you. I am uh, rereading uh, Captain America White. Nice, which uh, was written by Jeff Loeb mm-hmm. and uh, drawn by Tim Sale of uh, the the Long Halloween Batman crew. Long Halloween, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it look um, like that? It, uh, it's pretty similar. It's, yeah. it's not exactly the same, but there's definitely moments where it's like, oh, that reminds me of this one panel from Long Halloween mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but it's, it's kind of a, a retelling of um, Captain America and, and Bucky back in World War II, some of the adventures they go on. Uh, and throughout the whole thing, Cap is writing a letter to Bucky, who at this point, he doesn't know he's still alive, so he's writing to a dead Bucky, um, just lamenting all these things. And mm-hmm. um, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb have written a number of other Marvel comics like this. Uh, the Hulk, Gray, Spider-Man Blue, mm. uh, Daredevil, Daredevil, Yellow. Yep. Um, and they all kind of focus on the, the relationship is like, a relationship is the most important part of the story. And for this one, they decided instead of doing a romantic relationship, just the relationship with these two guys that are fighting in this war together and the bond that they create and how um, the loss of Bucky kind of damages Cap. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's I mean, it's Jeff Loeb. He's great. Uh, Tim Sale's art is, um, you know, t- when you see it, you know that it's Tim Sale. It's very iconic. Uh, and they do a great job. I'm about halfway through, I've read it before, but I'm about halfway through um, and really enjoying it. If you haven't read it, do it. I plan on picking up uh, like Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, um, and the Daredevil Yellow at some point just to have that full collection. 
I think I read Daredevil. It's when he's talking about Karen, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sad. So sad. Good. Good book options here from our crew. Uh, if you know of your nearby comic store, please feel free to go there and pick up these on other stories you may find entertaining. As well as if you have a Comixology account, you can find those there as well. So please use all the options you have before you. If you uh, want to use uh, support the show, use that affiliate link, nerdon.tv slash Comixology. Boom. There it is. Mm. That's how we do that. You see that? Mm. Just plugging, just beautiful plugs left and right. Speaking of plugs, this is the horrible segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on now to the main topic of our show. Since last episode, which is 170, we discussed the Alan Moore classic V for Vendetta. The next assignment was to watch the movie adaptation of said comic. So here we are now, episode 171, and we are going to chat about the 2005 film V for Vendetta. And I will give you, we did the synopsis for the comic. I'm going to give you the synopsis according to IMDb of the film version of V for Vendetta. IMDb. 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 In a future British tyranny. A shadowy freedom fighter known only by the alias of V plots to overthrow it with the help of a young woman. How was that? Was that good? Was that good? Well, yeah. You guys like that? Was that, well, that was good. Hey, hey, book them. Get them get the job, y'all. <laughs> um, directed by James McTeague and written by the Wachowskis as well as, oh, they do credit, I'm sorry, as with every Alan Moore uh, comic, they credit Dave the Gibbons. artist oh. uh, instead of Alan Moore because Alan Moore mm-hmm. has been like, he does not want any credit. He doesn't want any connection to adaptations. No. Ever since, I guess, was From Hell, where he had a bad experience when they adapted From Hell. And since then, he Wait was like... Wait, Tim Burton? Nope. Right? Was it, yeah. Did Tim Burton direct From Hell? I think it was Tim Burton. Johnny Depson, I know that. Yeah, I, I mean, was, yeah. they love each other. They do. You're right. Uh, so since then, he's been like, nope, which sucks because, I mean, the Watchmen series was amazing. But anyway. Nope. It was Albert and Alan Hughes who directed From Hell. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> Sorry, Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. Tim, hey, <laughs> Tim, you're fine. <laughs> but, so, but also Batman. But okay. also Batman. <laughs> the Wachowskis and credited David Lloyd for his illustrations, starring Hugo Weaving, Natalie Portman, and Rupert Graves. Uh, the film itself sits at 8.1 on IMDb out of 10, which is something because typically every movie falls in the sevens when it comes to IMDb. <laughs> it's like it's like unless it's really bad or really amazing, every movie is about a seven almost on IMDb. Yeah. Because they all love movies like we do. Uh, so, um, from there, we are going to chat about that. There's my synopsis for it. And so now themes and comparisons to current events don't differ much from what we said about the comic. A lot of what's going well, on in this movie. Yes, Tom. Uh, one major stark difference I found, with you know, and I... You know, if you want some double action because you just absolutely love V for Vendetta, Boom. you can listen to the Nerd On episode because we also covered it. Yes. Um, but it's it's very interesting because the comic book or the graphic novel, what, what have you, um, whatever your preference is, is much more about what true anarchy is about, a no sense of justice. Good call. Um, it's more about like a true religious authoritarian government where – in the film adaptation, it's much more of a fascist government, um, and then actually creating democracy 
like it's much more about like freedom and liberty and not about anarchy. Um, like what V in this film is much more about is like freedom to love who you want, freedom to read whatever religious texts you want and eat whatever foods you may have. And, uh, you know, freedom of knowing the truth where in the comic book, it's much more about like control at all, all costs and much more closer to Nazi regime of being much more close to like religion mm-hmm. um, and, and drawing religion, religious leaders in that bad light where like this film kind of like it touches on that where, you know, no one is susceptible from or no one is impervious from corruption, whether you're a religious leader, uh, uh, an entertainer, a politician, a law enforcer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this film adapts itself for the American audience in that way where, you know, V for Vendetta was written for a over the across the pond audience. Um, so, uh, you know, the Wachowskis and and, and James Mateague and, and, and co um, definitely um, make it more palatable, I think, for the American audience, because we're just like, yeah, that's what it should be. America <laughs> and freedom. Um, whereas the comic book is much more like, oh, God. God, it's just like no one's good. Everyone's <laughs> no one terrible. Everyone's bad. You know, and I, I think that's what you know. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit before with how the Watchmen HBO series, where it's really good on slapping the faces of both the left and right side of the political spectrum, mm-hmm. not really siding with one or the other, mm-hmm. um, but kind of making fun of both sides. Where V for Vendetta, the film, is much more like this is a little bit more about progressives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's not really cool with uh, with people who are who are who you know, identify as conservative. So that's what I kind of took away. And I give this movie credit because at that time though, when it came out in 2005, so they were filming it in 2004, we were at a time where, you know, 9-11 was a few years old, three, four years old. And up until just before our campaign into the Iraq war, we were all, you know, everyone was waving American flags. Everyone was patriotic. Everyone was all about it. Once we got to the war in Iraq, things splintered. And this movie to come out like a year after that, year or two after that, to audiences that were polarized. Uh, because as much as you have progressives who would have enjoyed the story, I was listening to a the other side of that time. And the bashing that was being given to this movie when it was being uh, advertised, it was being labeled oh. as a pro-terrorism movie. Wow. This is what some of the figureheads over in that set were saying. They were calling this a pro-terrorism and anti-American movie, which is funny because in this movie, V is fighting, like you said, for democracy. So, But at that time, it went against what that side wanted. So I thought that this was like a big test from the Wachowskis to, to do this. Um, of course, slapping when you slapped creators of The Matrix on it, that all this, that will get eyes attached to it right away. Um, but I gave them credit for taking the step they did at that time, because at that time it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't promised that you would have a big blockbuster audience or big following with this movie coming out during that time period. So this was a big test for them to be doing something like that. And it's become like a cult favorite now as years have gone by. People love V for Vendetta. When you bring it up, when you bring it up, you go, Oh yeah. V V for Vendetta. That was amazing. People wearing the guy Fox mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of nowhere. Uh, Manderson, your take on the movie. You said you've seen it quite a few times. Yeah, it's been a few years, but I do remember um, when it came out, there there were a lot of things that surprised me about it. I, I went and saw it specifically because 
the Wachowskis mm-hmm. were a part of it. And I was a big fan of the matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't what I expected, but I remember really enjoying it. And even though I, as I'm somebody who leans more moderate, but moderate conservative when it comes mm-hmm. to that stuff, I remember walking away from it and not getting, not being offended by it, but thinking like there, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, there is a danger of letting one group take too much mm-hmm. and 100%. that somebody need, there needs to be a person who has that voice that stands up and rallies like kind of like he did, especially towards the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, like overall, just the, the way the story was told and some of the way um, I haven't read the comic. So I'm 100% going off the movie here. The way things were portrayed in the movie was um, I think surprising to me, especially with like a lot of the the acts of terrorism mm-hmm. for an American audience that still that close to nine 11, like we're mm-hmm. over 20 years away from it. But if you were in high school, maybe junior high, when that happened, you remember watching those planes go into the towers and mm-hmm. all that stuff happening. And um, I, I agree. I think it was a risk of a movie for oh, them yeah. to take on, but it was, it was a necessary um, movie to tackle a necessary story and a necessary commentary on society, I think. And it, it's, I mean, it's, it's extreme, but that's, I think that's why it works. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, people, people are people and they're going to get offended just because they want to be, of course. and if they can't see it for what it is, that's unfortunate, but I think they, they did a great job of, of doing what, saying what needed to be said at that time in a creative way. Mm-hmm. It, 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 what you said it there, it, it's, to me, it saddens me that, because Alan Moore is, isn't in the picture because although from hell was a horrible experience, there have been some really worthy adaptations of his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one right here, um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Um, uh, I, um, not according to him. Of course. Which true. Is, true. Which, which is sad because I, you know, I, it, it, you know, we talked about it where it's like Alan Moore would probably say like, even though a Watchmen is a, a like frame for frame recreation, it doesn't kind of capture like Rorschach properly, mm. um, which is a commentary of that. Like Rorschach is a misogynist, a homophobe and like a racist, which and the series they, did better. <laughs> and then he's yeah, like in the picture. And, and in the, in the film, yeah, they, they, again, they just make it more palatable for the American viewing audience, which somehow some way has become like the uh, zeitgeist for all massive audiences to be, to not go as extreme as it went. Um, and I could just like, where it's like things, and I don't know if they're like trigger words or some of that, but it's it's just like key phrasing that they keep out of it. Like, um, you know, they're they're not going so into the into the weeds or so in, ingrained of like what the the source material can go into. Um, like particularly with Watchmen, you know, something like with the, again with the HBO series, I use that a lot of like a, that seems much more of a closer uh, spirit. Even mm-hmm. though that it's completely original, just you know, complete with the senator mm-hmm. and you know his line of "it's hard for hard being a white guy nowadays." Yeah, and it's like that sentiment is like something that Alan Moore would have written, mm-hmm. you know, like to comment upon that type of person, you know, like and and that's sometimes some like in in when we're talking about themes with this film, like one thing in particular that completely flew over my head when I was watching this in two thousand four was Stephen Fry's character. Mm-hmm. I had no understanding. I was like, 
He's just a guy with all this stuff that's technically illegal. What's up with the bondage pictures? I don't know. Like, I had no understanding of that. And then watching it, you know, in recent years, I'm like, oh, he's gay. Like, oh, I get it. Oh. Like, it, it, it's weird. And it's just like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff where it's like they don't explicitly go into it. or And, like, they kind of steer away enough. But they, they mention it of where you can understand, like, oh, these people – are being subject to the quote unquote reclamation mm-hmm. and it's based on their, you know, orientation or, or religion and all that stuff. And it's just like, Oh, but like, you don't see how, how gruesome it goes. It's not like, you know, 15 years of slave where it's like, Oh, we're doing a one shot scene mm-hmm. of this. And this is rough. Mm-hmm. Yep. No. Uh, well, well said. Um, let's go into what we loved in the movie. Um, I will, I'll go first on this one. I, liked loved that they kind of they strengthened uh evie mm-hmm. in this movie with oh natalie portman my they so, yeah, made explain, her explain to madison just in case you know catch him up a little bit oh it, yeah. so in in the graphic novel uh evie is a 16 year old who is on her first night out as a prostitute to make money and she she's just a very weak character the way she's she very was. like damsel in distress, like Extremely, oh no, I'm scared. What yes. do you help me? Where throughout the Natalie entire Portman series, yeah. And but with Natalie Portman, you get and it and it, half of it, the reason is it's Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman but has always been a strong actress. They do have her look very young and innocent at first. At first, and yes. then when she changes and goes through her metamorphosis, she does come out like. You know, she's not wearing such bright colors mm-hmm. anymore. She's wearing more neutral tones. Like, mm-hmm. you know, visually you're seeing a different character, which, you know, there there are things that we should probably talk about as well with, you know, gaslighting and torturing women. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to your point. Yeah, it, it just – it it I, the character herself, this, even when the, the, the buildup to her, like she's – of course, we've made her a little older. She's not 16. Uh, she works at the uh, – the uh, the communications B- building. B- BCN. BCN. BCN, thank you. She works at BCN. She's not just walking the streets. She has a career, kind of. Um, she just feels a little bit more independent than the way she was in the graphic novel. Uh, although she will still follow the same steps of being like the protege to V, saved by V, following his footsteps. All that's still there. I just appreciated that we got more of a stronger character through this, uh, both written by the Wachowskis and... Natalie Portman's performance. So I enjoyed seeing that. And of course, Natalie, Natalie Portman, she has a master class on acting. So let's just say she knows what she's doing when she comes to the business. This was uh, before she took her hiatus. This was, you're right. This was before she took her hiatus. And, and, she, then, and then came back and got an Oscar. <laughs> right? <laughs> she came back, Black Swan, it's mine. Mine. Oh, damn. <laughs> I also, I mean, Hugo Weaving, oh. SV, is just perfection. I think... To, like to to what Manderson said, where it was like this film only becomes very palatable because they just nailed it with oh, yeah. V. Oh yeah, like he becomes so entertaining to watch, and you never see his face. Learn something, Mandalorian. I'm kidding. Um, but you know, I'm just like <laughs> he's so charismatic, and it's just like mm-hmm. I, I am fascinated to watch him move mm-hmm. and hear his voice and his delivery, and it's not just like. Here's a cool tagline. I'm like, all right, man. You know, he, it's like, it, oh man. They they took like the Zorro aesthetic from like the 1950s series, 
and just made them even more flamboyant and out there and outrageous. Mm-hmm. They just raised the dial that, on the that Zorro That Count of Monte Cristo really helped. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. The Count of Monte Cristo, Zorro together. It just amped it up more. And Hugo Weaving's voice is just a beautiful voice to put behind that mask. Um, I, those are two that I covered right there. What, uh, Tom Anderson, what were you guys feeling that you loved about the movie? Uh, I, I the Hugo Weaving in that role, I think, made it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the I feel like there was a certain amount of theat- theatricality. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, theatricality, theatricality and he, deception are powerful tools to the un- uninitiated. Thank you, Roz. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, that he brought to it that um, I did read like the first issue of of it that I I could see translated from that to from the book to the movie. Um, really well. And I don't know if anybody could, at least vocally, the way that he, he speaks and, um, the inflections that he has throughout the movie. I don't know if any other actor at that time, um, or even now could do that and come off as badass Mm -hmm. as he did. Um, so his, his performance in that was great. And then Natalie Portman, also fantastic some of the just like the roller coaster ride of what she goes through from discovering who that this guy exists oh yeah trying to figure out who he is and some of the like the little clues that she thinks she gets here and there and tries to connect the dots but then realizing at the end that it's she's it's not he's not who she thinks he is and yeah just i mean both of them together fantastic Mm -hmm. um and just overall, I feel like the movie had a unique theatricality to it that a lot of movies at that era didn't have because your main character is behind a mask the whole time and they played into it, but they didn't make it hokey because it could have been really bad. Mm-hmm. They they did it the right way. I feel like they they took their time finding the right way, the right actor, the right way to shoot, the right way to do everything. Um, and it came off as a masterpiece. Yeah, and I I say it and I, I understand where other superhero or comic book adaptations love to get their hero out of the mask. Mm-hmm. Love to have Spider-Man take off his mask for a fly in his mask for some stupid reason. I'm like, please, God, <laughs> just leave the mask on. We like, we know you can ADR. Gotta show the pretty person's face. No. <laughs> this movie is the living proof. You do not. You yep. need just good performances and everyone being like, this is Oscar, right? This is a, this is like Oscar bait. Um, and I, I think to, yeah, to exactly to manage this point, I'm like, yes, like I, I can't stand it when like, when I, when I see uh, a, a hero take off their mask, I'm like, it's because they knew they couldn't sell this movie. They couldn't sell it on just the mask. They had to sell it on the star. Mm-hmm. And like, that was a big thing. I remember watching it. I was just like, Oh my God, that's, that's agent Smith. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, that's Elrond? Elrond? Yeah, I was like, oh my god. Um, and uh, I it's absolutely love that. That just made me feel like this is one of the most talented actors of all time. Oh, because yeah. they can compel me without me ever seeing a facial expression. And, and you know, like Madison said, like, it's the way you shoot him, the way you light him, the way he he's performing and moving. Like he's tuxedo mask from Sailor Moon for all those anime folk. <laughs> like he kills people, drops a rose, and he has a cape and he sw- you know, he 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 flourishes the, the cape so often. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this character should not work in 
the time era of Matrix where the leather jackets were cool and mm-hmm. and and we couldn't wear cool X-Men uniforms at this point, right? We were afraid of color. But this guy somehow makes a cape, a wig, and a top hat really freaking dope. A, um, a really an, an extremely smiley mask. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. One theme I want to bring up because it, I, I, I guess – I don't know if I talked about this when I when we did a nerd on, but this, so this might be a, a new take. Ooh, um, new take, new take. Um, <laughs> something I love about kind of rewatching Wachowski work uh, now since after their transition. Um, for those who haven't listened, the Wachowskis are known as the Wachowskis because before they were known as the Wachowski brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, before they transitioned into uh, their 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 new uh, identity. Identities that they identify with and align uh, as women, and um, kind of watching this film now, um, the entire uh, what's it called? Salt Salt Flats, the Salt Flats uh, mm-hmm. actress mm-hmm. Valerie, like the the kind of tender warmth and care that happens through that storytelling process, like kind of really draws like a new perspective of again a, a, a woman being persecuted. For just loving somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And it really kind of like to me, it really started pulling my heart strings because it almost felt like a telegraph of the fear they might have had of coming out, you know, mm-hmm. of of being true to who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I feel like I don't know if James Minty was privy to that knowledge or anything like that or the writers just, you know, whatever or like the producers, they were just like how about we give this scene a little bit more love, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I, I remember first time I watched this film and that entire, the note, the notes being passed, like, and at the very end where it's like, even though you'll never understand this, I'll never hold your hand or see your face or, or me eye to eye or kiss you. Like, I love you with all my heart. Like that was something my, I was, it's 2004. I was not even in high school yet. Where, where was I? Oh my oh, goodness. God, I was, was like, yeah, I was in grade school. Oh. Middle school. Uh, I graduated 2009. Hurting. So I was in eighth grade. Is everyone's back hurt? I'm sorry. Steve's and I are like, it's it's too late for the blue plate special. I guess it's just time for bed. I graduated high school in 2000. (laughs) Oh my goodness, baby. Anyway, so um, 2004, I was was in eighth to seventh grade. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm feeling things. I feel (laughs) compassion for, for a character that we never even saw dialogue with. You know, it was just little like Tom really... is like the Grinch when his heart grows. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I absolutely loved that theme that kind of was just like they, they smuggled it in there. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I didn't know you were going to do that to me. I don't know. You're going to throw some love story at me. This tragic love story to me. My bad. I thought I was here for some vigilante action. You throw me yeah, a tragic I was, love I was ready, story. Like, I think at this point I was ready for like. Batman to be, you know, Batman Begins was around the corner. Right. <laughs> like, you know, X-Men movies were out there and Hellboy was was coming out that year. Oh, there was definitely a Batman Begins trailer for this one uh, yes. b- before this movie. Oh, there definitely yeah. was. Um, yeah. So transitioning now from what we loved, uh, real quick, my apologies. Uh, James McTeague, this was his first movie as a director. His first movie at the gate is V for Vendetta. Where, where's mine, y'all? Right, mine. right. Give Tom <laughs> Batman Beyond. Damn get, it. get and look. I'll do it like this. I'll get the Russo brothers to produce Indeed. the movie. Boom. And there you go. It's instant, instant two hundred million dollars opening weekend. Sold. Instant. Sold. Because all their other movies have not done well. But you know, hey, it's okay. It's okay. 
Uh, you know, maybe a booster gold cameo. Um, <clears throat> from the future. <clears throat> uh, those of you who can't see, he's riding name. on, but he'd be riding on Metron's chair. Dang right. <laughs> so, uh, James McTeague's first movie at the gate for it to be this one. Jesus, well done. Uh, yeah. But what did we not uh, enjoy as much as we did in the comics? Uh, and Manderson, I know you didn't read the comic. Um, what? Oh, fully read the comic. Excuse me. Um, what I would point out that I lacked in the movie was one: the Finch character. Mm. Uh, they did not de- in the movie did not delve deep into what the Finch character was going through in the comic after. Um, oh, forgive me, the nurse. Uh, oh, Delia. 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 Yeah, after her death, and when he gets her journal. They didn't go as deep into it as the comic did. They and they I, really streamlined it. It's like, what if I told you? <laughs> exactly. And when I read that section in the comic, I told you uh, on the last episode, I envisioned it the way Dr. Manhattan's uh, story is told in Watchmen. And in Zack Snyder's Watchmen, he does that panel for panel. You get that whole thing. So in my head, when I read that, I'm like, this is just like that panel for me. And it saddened me that they didn't put that into V for Vendetta. Now, I get it. It would have made it a longer movie. Watchmen was close to three hours, but that didn't come out until five, four or five years after this movie. Uh, so I know they there was the fear of losing an audience when your movie's going too long. Even after you know Lord of the Rings has been out, it still was not common to have these three-hour fantasy movies or, or graphic novel adaptations. So they were kind of testing the waters, and maybe some things had to be cut. It just saddens me because that's such a great story of how how V becomes who he is through this nurse's eyes. Uh, that was that was one aspect that I didn't enjoy in, as much as I did in the in the. Uh, they, they had it in this one, but it just wasn't as grandiose. Exactly. Um, it didn't feel like a chapter. It felt like, okay, here's a little bit of exposition that we needed to get across across the river. Exactly. Exactly. That, that was the, that's the main one that stuck out to me was that, because I was really hoping to see uh, a little more into that. Um, if we're only purely comparing the comic, book, I'll do one. I'll do two. One okay, for the film, it. and then and then one for the comic. Book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish. Uh, yeah, maybe this gets redone as a miniseries because I liked that there Written was not only the voice and I. <laughs> um, I, I liked that you know, like in the comic, book, it made sense why they're called fingermen and mm-hmm. why there was the nose, which was uh, uh, creedy. Um, cause he was the nosy one, you know, he was mm-hmm. the one who was supposed to get into people's, you know, things and where it's like, uh, and, and there was the eyes and the ears and the mouth of, of England. Um, and I would have really liked what they do in, uh, the comic book is go into each of their lives, the ones that are survived. Uh, mm-hmm. but then they show like how they're actually struggling to hold on to power, but also that like one guy might be an abusive husband but at the end of the day, he is a husband and a father, and V just kills him. So that whole moment that V has with uh, Evie on the on the on, on the couch when they're seeing the news of Prothero uh, dying or being killed, and he's like, "I killed him," and it's like he's like, "I might have killed those fingermen and who were going to kill you." Is that mm-hmm. a problem? Mm-hmm. Violence could be used for good. Um, you know, it's very heroic. It's not very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what the comic book really does is truly really try to hold everyone accountable, the readers to being like, 
you should not like wanton violence. Um, and as much as you love, love, you know, heroes and capes, like there are real consequences to just like slicing the throat of, you know, some official, you know, cop member, like all those cops that died in the BTN, we don't know them. And they all look like young dudes. Like the only, Mm -hmm. you know, truly evil characters that we see are Sutler, AKA Susan, um, from the comic books and, 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 in Finch and then Prothero. Yeah. Um, and then the Bishop, but like all these other people that kind of died to V's hands, you're like, they might've just been following orders, but that's also like the road, the roadblock to the Nazism, right? Where mm-hmm. they're just following orders. Yep. So it's, it, it's a complex thing that I think the book handles really well. And again, if the medium was different, if it was like a mini series, we could have one hour long episodes for oh, you know, yeah. 10 episodes. Um, and then, uh, one thing in the film that I guess if I was meh about, um, I think uh, it's 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 a little bit it's it, it's aged itself out in a way where uh, when we're watching the film and we're enthralled and it's all brand new, we're not really processing it as quickly as possible. But the conversation has matured nowadays, where uh, it's a it's a little easy that Evie kind of just quickly forgives V for torturing her for weeks on end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a little fast. <laughs> it's a, it's very quick, and I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say it like to me, like I, I got romanced up by V for Vendetta, and I'll probably have to explain that to a therapist one day. But uh, it's just really weird, you know. You show that in the movie where it's like, yeah, a guy can quote unquote have these weird illusions of grandeur and 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 you know, uh, give you some sense of. Therapy by torturing you. By torturing you. <laughs> so it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. Anderson? Um, Anderson? Yeah, I think that would be my my nitpick too. Was that that turnaround from her being stuck in that prison, being let go, and then discovering that it was him the whole time, being upset for like five seconds. <laughs> um, it. I remember even in the for when I saw it in the theaters, I'm like, that seems even for a movie, a little unrealistic. Yeah. And we're just, get some, I, get I get shouting, that they have, please. Yeah. I get that they have a story that they're telling and it's like, this is a moment. And then they have, we have to move on to the next thing, but it's still like, I feel like there should have been more consequence for that or some more. Yeah. I agree with Tom. There should have been more, more around that, but mm-hmm. that that's it. And maybe, yeah, I don't, maybe they just didn't have the time. Like Steve said, they were testing something out. I don't, Maybe there were more comic book adaptations that weren't superheroes that happened back then, but that's the first one that really sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it was, uh, we were in that area where we had X Men and Spider Man. We had Blade. And we had, we had Blade. We had Blade. Yeah. Um, we, Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah. Reeve yeah. Superman. We Ralph had Batman. We had Schumacher Batman. But we still had like years there too. Like you had Superman was like late 70s, early 80s. And yeah. you got Batman late eighty, early nineties, um, and then we had X Men and Spider Man give us the end of the twentieth and beginning of twenty first century. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, because so V was kind of in that middle where it wasn't a superhero comic because it, technically it's a Vertigo, but uh, I think it was being a little peddled as that. It, it was, yeah, it was being peddled yeah. as that. Although probably, if you look at it now, I don't think. Nah. Vigilante is the more appropriate term without the superhero context, whereas Batman, you get Vigilante and Hero together. 
But it was like he was sandwiched in there in between the previous comic book movies and what would eventually be the Nolan verse and the MCU, which were just years yeah. away. Uh, so it kind of was a testing of the waters of what can we do with this grittier type of comic character? How far can we go into the story? Let's just take the elements we need for our story and, you know, do away with that background stuff. But that background stuff is so rich. It's so, like, like Tom said, if we do a, a V for, we, Tom and I, yeah, that's it. <laughs> There's a V for Vendetta <laughs> series. Uh, that That's something that can go into deeper detail um, of the, of, of those parts of it. I mean, Lindelof proved it could be done. And he made it his own thing while honoring the original. Um, I mean, Tim Cook, if you're listening, Apple TV Plus, these two guys make it happen. Thank you, mm. thank you, thank you. Yeah, Warner Brothers, uh, you just like to license everything out anyway, so <laughs> you won't put it on HBO Max. <laughs> you won't do it. You're just gonna give it to Amazon. <laughs> Amazon, just, Bezos over here, like, it's like mm, Lord of the Rings money. I'll take that. Lord oh, of the Rings. More Alan Moore money. I'll take that. Oh, Mr. Bond, come over here, you. <laughs> Um, um, I do want to mention one real quick of a good favorite part that I watched real, uh, uh, of this. Um, we, we were talking about like just the incredul- incredulity. That's a word. Incredi- sure. Yeah. yeah Incredu- incredulity um, yeah. Of, of, of V wearing a mask the entire time. When, the, when Natalie Portman kisses that mask, it's really done really well because it's a super close up. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of get this really beautiful moment of like her lips meeting the mask lips. And it's just like, as a aesthetic, it just looks really nice. But imagine that as a wide shot, it looks super stupid. <laughs> yeah, but I was yeah. like, wow, just really good, just really good thought, force thought. I was like, wow, they really thought I, this out. And I credit that the movie, the movie's responsible for the remember, remember the fifth of November because I, that's not in the comic anywhere, right? Uh, I don't remember that. Did that pop up at all in the comic? I think it's pretty it's sure it's in, in the, the comic. Did it come up in the first panels? Opening yeah. panels. Sorry, it felt like the yeah. movie referenced it more. Than the comic I, did. Yeah, it was a few times in the movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it felt like the comic had it once, and then the movie was like, this is going to be our thing. They're yeah, the movie the totally thing. made a motif around a lot of things. And you get so. the Guy Fox uh, backstory right there in the beginning. Well, um, I mean, which, the whole thing is about, like, I, I, it's like, everyone remembers the the phrase but i remember the man it's like yeah we get it we're <laughs> like this like the book is not nothing about like who is this person it's like oh we live in a terrible time and now, and now because the movie we have that quote rung every election year <laughs> yeah, every time it's november ha uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um so from there overall rating for the wachowski's and james teague adaptation of V for Vendetta. Tom, what do you give the movie itself? Do you give it an equal to the comic, better, lower? Do you approve of the movie? Do you, do you, do you, what do you, what is, uh, what does Caitlin, Caitlin say? I like the movie. I like, I like the, the movie. movie. <laughs> That's what she says. Uh, I mean, uh, so we're not giving it a number. We're just saying good, equal, greater than, less than. You know, it's it's because it's the whole thing with me where we have this feeling here at the Crusaders and the way I think is that we don't really thumbs down things. We just say what we didn't like, but still find the things we do like. And being that, you know, I think the three of us here, especially Tom and I, are just we love the movies in general. So I'm kind of like 
what, 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 you know, I don't know if I want to give like numbers because then it's like, oh, for me, I think, uh, uh, different but equal. Good answer. There, it's an adaptation. Uh, if you're mad at the film for not being the comic book, go read the comic book. Yeah. Um, and if you want that done in live action, you go write yourself, Mr. Screenwriter or Mrs. <laughs> Screenwriter, uh, whoever, whoever's listening. Uh, <laughs> It, it, you know, like, like, you know, just because the adaptation's out there doesn't mean the comic book is gone. Just because the comic exactly. book is there and you read that and you're like, oh, I want more, doesn't mean the movie's gone. Like, mm-hmm. those, those things exist and they're meant to be absorbed and enjoyed in that way. And once we kind of, you know, stop yelling at each other and bickering of, like, what's better, mm-hmm. and we just kind of enjoy the fact that they both exist and we can talk about it and there's a discourse and that they're being made, then we just kind of start enjoying everyone's company a lot better. Perfect example. If Jurassic Park followed the book page by page, it's a five-hour movie that is extremely rated R. You can love. It sounds like Jurassic a great Park. thing. We let's write that too. Release uh, the Crichton cut. <laughs> Release the Crichton cut. <laughs> you can adore the book like I do, and adore the movie like I do, and for the different reasons of it. And the same with you, V for Vendetta. There's so many things that were left out in the movie that the graphic novel did so well, but the movie made up for it with this de- democracy approach of Eva Vendetta with this um, their presentation of it, and they whatever they lacked, they made up in it with it with this beautiful visual performance of Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman and the story that they were trying to tell. Um, and I mean, those bad, there's a lot of badass scenes for V in, the, in those opening moments that I'm like, I literally went, woo! Every time you would do when those, when those blades came out and just it was like Zorro Batman hybrid, I'm like, woo! Look at him go. Um, so I mean, I, I really, I agree with the IMDb eight out of 10. I, I'm, I'm in that realm of it where it's, it was extremely well done. So you're, now you're giving it a number. Now I'm giving it a number. Yeah, now I'm getting a number. <laughs> totally going against what's what your, I said. What's your number, Tom? You get a number too. Give a number. I would I would call it like a nine out of ten. Okay. Yeah. It's not cool. a, an official nerd on number where you go by a scale of five. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, I'll go like nine. It, to me, it's like, whoa, this is one of the greatest. Like to me, it has something to be said. And and that's mm-hmm. my big issue with a lot of these comic book movie adaptations nowadays. What are you trying like, to say? I, I don't know if there's subtext to that anymore. Like, I don't know if this has any consequence. Is it gonna make me think? Or is it gonna be like that was a good time. <laughs> I was enjoy- I was entertained. It's a fun ride. And I'm like, cool, man. Which is fine. That's wonderful. Is fine. I'm glad that they spent quadruple the budget for that movie instead of for this movie. But and made this movie wrote- three hours long and where it actually made the American audience be like, I was entertained. It made me think. It didn't make me hate myself, but it made me critically think of how I view the world. And I'm, I'm like, everything on the ballot. <laughs> Manderson, your feelings since I've gone against uh, everything I said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd say, yeah, nine out of 10. It was, I loved it when it first came out. Every time I watch it, I still love it. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely gets you thinking about the world mm-hmm. where we're at, mm-hmm. how I fit in it, <laughs> how I think about it. It did what it was supposed to. What's not to like? There you go. And I think it, it it's one of those movies that as time has gone on, like the time period it came out in, and now when you watch it again today, it's only growing in um, its popularity and its yeah. importance. Continue to mention. 
And it taught me how to make a delicious breakfast by doing, oh, making eggs in a basket. There you go. <laughs> Use real butter, baby. Real butter, exactly. Real butter. That's fake margarine crap. <laughs> Thank you, V. Thank you, Hugo. Yeah, life skills. Life skills from Hugo Weaving <laughs> as V. Uh, so there you have it. Tom Manderson and I giving you our breakdown and our feels for the Wachowskis and James McTeague's adaptation of V for Vendetta, which was out in 2005. If you, if you have yet to see V for Vendetta or hear us and you're like, hey, I want to see that again, go to the, uh, the HBO Max because it's there, right there for you. Um, enjoy it there. Uh, if you don't have HBO Max, um, well, you can rent it. Uh, you can buy it on buy it at your you know DVD store. What am I saying? <laughs> go to Blockbuster. Yeah, go to Blockbuster you and know, pick it up. Okay, Boomer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's on VOD. Um, Elder Millennial. Elder Millennial. <laughs> Oldest Millennial. I'll um, take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and uh, it's currently not on HBO Max. What? Uh, oh, did it yeah, leave? I, just, uh, I think it's just not on right now. Uh, I just checked the use the Just Watch app, and that's I where you can find it. it. Two weeks ago, it was on HBO Max. Well, that was two weeks ago, which was a month ago for these listeners. <sighs> Suicide Squad <laughs> so, kicked it out. Which was a month so. ago. <laughs> so it VOD. was once there. VOD. There you go. Or just buy yeah. it. It's a movie you should own. Just yeah. gonna dig out my full screen DVD. Yes. <laughs> Watch it. Beautiful, just like Tom. The Get it from the Walmart rack, the bin. You know what I'm saying? Full screen. I wonder what's going on the sides that I can't see. Weird. It was shot in full screen, you jackhole. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was modified for widescreen later. I don't believe later. That. I don't believe that. No. <laughs> and then they had to modify it to full screen after, and then you I, chopped off the side. I don't remember anything. Before because you're a boomer. Yeah, no <laughs> older millennial. Full screen shot at modified for widescreen and then remodified for full oh, screen. When, when you watch when you watch stuff that's was made in full screen now on your widescreen TV, it's just disgusting. It's it's stuff that yeah. was like you mean 90s. like how all Instagram videos are. Yeah, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you do IGT, IGTV, then you can do the whole widescreen. That's, then, then that's why I don't do Instagram because I can't I can't stand it. I'm happy those shows that went back and like made everything white screen, like ER and the West Wing. They went and revamped, but then they cropped so it. Thin. That's what happened with Disney Plus. They messed up all the Simpsons jokes because they went to widescreen, and then so you just see like a vat of acid, and then on the top you see the missing sign, which is like "Don't swim in the vat of acid." <laughs> that, that, that so you miss visual jokes with ER and West Wing. Everything was fine when they did the revamping, but that's because it's it was no, probably because they Wills. shot it really wide. Yeah, and then like we know, at some point they're going to compress it. Have you seen the sets of ER in the West Wing? They're magnificent. No, I don't watch. I don't watch that show. The fuck, man. That's that's some boomer shit. The fuck. Okay. My show. <laughs> I watch the West Wing though. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do the I want to see talk. the good side of politics. <laughs> you, you watch the West Wing, then watch the House of Cards, um, and then anyway. watch Newsroom, and then watch Newsroom. Yes. Anyway. That concludes our main topic of V for Vendetta. We thank you for joining us this whatever time you're listening to us, morning, afternoon, evening, in the late a.m. hours when Tom usually texts me. In your car, in your shower, in your bed, in mm-hmm. private moments. On your, it's- in your, <laughs> on a run <laughs> while you're in private moments. <laughs> Regardless, we're in your ears. I hope you are listening to Nerd On and the Capeless Crusaders during those private moments because what else would you want during those times 
than Tom doing his sigh. <laughs> what else you gets it, you it going you it? for you? Do the sigh. Do the sigh. Oh, look at that. Right when you're in the candles lit. You don't need Lionel Richie. No, you need Tom's sigh. Dim lights. <laughs> pork chop on the side. Getting a little feisty. <laughs> And then the side. It's beautiful. I'm like, I, I'm I'm getting warm right now hearing Tom sigh. <laughs> so that concludes our and show, as I said. In the, in the vapors. <laughs> I, sitting in this chair, am the Azorian one, Anthony Steves. We were not joined tonight by our legendary cast of Great Crusaders, the Doctor, D.R. Barry, or Amy. They are on assignment somewhere. Uh, but we're, we are we're, we're the Suicide Squad. <laughs> yes. We're the Patsies. We're the losers starring Chris Evans. I'll take I, it. I call John Cena. Uh, as long as I, I can, can be Polka Dot Man, I'm in. Aww. I'm a real superhero. <laughs> um, I am joined by fellow Crusader wearing the Superman and Batman t-shirt right now. Is the son of Mander at I don't know who I am anymore. You don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> who uh, else is, hey, who else is with us? <laughs> from Nerd on the Podcast, the Redwood original of the Capeless Crusaders, you are. I am Tom. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess. I'm 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 Milton. You got you pretty much treat me like Milton. <laughs> who is Milton? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is quickly becoming a Suicide Squad episode. Uh again, those of you listening to us, please like, subscribe, and review the Capeless Crusade. Who? The Capeless Crusaders. As well as Nerd on the Podcast. Give us the likes, give us the subscriptions, review us, let us know how much you love us. If you don't, you are not a human. Well, then uh, share it with someone that you hate. <laughs> exactly. Share it with someone. Yeah, you there hate, you go. And maybe they'll leave us a review. Whatever. Uh, for the Capeless Crusaders and the Nerd on Nation, good night.